You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, everybody, there is something about living the country lifestyle where you've always got to be looking ahead to what's coming next. I mean, if you're out there on your own piece of land, if you're out there in working in your yard, in your garden, you've always got to be planning for what's coming next, whether that's weeds, whether that's irrigation, whether that's planting, harvesting, whatever it may be. And and today's episode is no different. So we're talking all about chainsaws today. And you're sitting there going, well, we just got done with a brutal Idaho and Eastern Oregon winter. Why are we already thinking about cutting firewood for the winter? But it's the time of year when we do it, right? We've got to be looking ahead to next year. So I thought this would be a great time of year to bring up that topic and really start thinking about getting those chainsaws in shape, knowing what we're going to have, what we're going to use, and how we're going to go about preparing for next winter. And I just love that time of year when you go out and you start putting away firewood for the next winter. It takes you back. It seems very old world, and uh, there's something very satisfying about getting your fuel and your heat and all of that established and put away for the next year if you're going to be heating with wood. And then on top of that, if you just need chainsaws around your property to help you maintain your property and work there, well, there's really good information here in this show for you today. So we've got a D&B expert in chainsaws coming on, and man, what a wealth of information. This is a long episode, but I just had a lot of questions and got a lot of great answers, and I wanted to give you all of this information. So enjoy. Joining us today is Kurt Sullivan, the assistant manager at the D&B Supply Overland store in Boise. Welcome to the show, Kurt. Uh, Good morning, Matt. Glad to be here. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to this discussion and happy to have you on the show. And what I'd like to do is start off by just kind of introducing you to our audience a little bit. Can you tell us just a little bit about you personally? I came from a small outdoor power equipment shop, heavily on the service end of everything. Worked there for about 13 years and then had the opportunity to come over to DNB Supply and work in the outdoor power equipment department here at the Boise store and then have moved up to assistant manager since and, and looking forward. All right. Well, now, how long have you been with DNB? I've been with DNB about three and a half years. Okay. So lots of lots of experience for you with, with motors and, and power equipment prior to that. And then you got you, we were lucky enough to have you bring that over to us. Yeah, yeah. We called today to to talk about chainsaws specifically, and uh, you know we're uh-huh. we're getting into the season. The season is coming where people are going to be want to, wanting to get outside, cut wood, get firewood ready for next year, and things like that. So, what I'd like to do is just kind of start off by asking you, uh, you know, for people who already own a chainsaw and they're going to be cutting firewood the season, they're going to be getting it out and and doing work on their property. You know, what types of things should they be doing to get their saws ready for the season? Well, Matt, hopefully they've they've done what they needed to do last season or or whenever they ran the the saw last in order to be prepared for getting it, you know, out for this season. If they've done all the proper steps that that I would recommend to them, they would have disposed of any old fuel and run the machine out of fuel and either stored it with fresh fuel that's been stabilized, non-ethanol fuel, or my preference is the uh, Moto Mix, the the premium fuel that you can get in the can that has a much longer shelf life. Mm-hmm. Um, 
of course, you know, sharpening chains, checking sprocket wear and guide bar wear, and just making sure everything in that regard is up to snuff. Tune-ups, you know, a lot of folks will save that until springtime as well. Uh, spark plug, air filter, fuel filter, those are some of the basics. Okay. Well, tell me about checking for wear on the guide bar and on the sprocket. How do you do that? So on the uh, guide bar itself, there will be a couple of common telltales that will tell them if they need to have the bar dressed or if they need to have it replaced. One of them would be if you, if you take the bar off and hold it up and sight down the length of the bar and look over the top of it, the two bar rails, which is where the, the, the slot for the chain uh, drivers goes down into those bar, between the bar rails, uh-huh. the two bar rails should be equal with each other and, and shouldn't have a significant amount of, of uh, roll on either side. And when I say roll, I'm meaning uh, an amount of metal that gets pushed from the top of the guide bar off onto the edge and creates kind of a, uh, a lip on the side of the bar right at the edge. That amount of wear, if you've got one side that is a little bit lower than the other, it needs to be dressed, or if it's significant enough, uh, it needs to be replaced. Otherwise, you'll end up with crooked cutting, and just you won't have satisfactory results. Okay. Uh, as far as the sprocket goes, the sprocket can be inspected if you uh, pull the side cover, bar, and chain off. The sprocket should be depending on which type it is, should be smooth across across its drivers and, and shouldn't have significant grooves worn into it. Grooves like that can cause premature chain wear for, for a new chain and just needs to be replaced every so often. And that's something that an experienced sawyer would know and, and of course, anybody in the shops should know how to identify a, a worn, uh, worn sprocket. Okay, okay, great. Now, when you talked about dressing on the the guide bar what does that mean to have it dressed so to have the guide bar dressed would mean to bring back into true the uh, both sides of the the rails and there are big table machines that some of the shops might have to to be able to dress these back into a, um, a level fashion. You know, we happen to have a handheld version of that here at the Boise store. And basically what it does is it gives us a perpendicular guide for a hand file that will go in and remove uh, the necessary amount of material mm-hmm. until both rails are, well, what I look for when I'm doing it is both rails are shining. Uh, as soon as you get both rails shining nice and equal across each of the rails, they are, they are done, and that would mean they are true and par- or perpendicular to the side of the bar. And then, of course, the big table machines involve a very flat table and a grinding wheel that is perpendicular to the table. Okay. Okay, great. So is this something that you recommend people do at home on their own or should it be brought into a shop if they if they believe it needs to be dressed? You know, if they're doing enough cutting that they are wearing through guide bars, you know, annually, I would say, yeah, they, they probably ought to know how to do it and, and buy the tool for it. If they are occasional users and they're, you know, maybe wearing through a bar every five years, you know, that's something they could probably without having to to spend money on tools, they could just bring it in and have a shop do that. Okay. All right. Great. All right. Well, let's take a quick commercial break and uh, we'll be right back with some more great information on getting ready for the season with our chainsaws. All right. Great. 
Know what food to give your faithful canine friends? D&B knows loyal owners choose Neutrina Loyal Dog Food for man's best friend. Neutrina Loyal offers high-quality, nutrient-rich food for dogs from the littlest pup to the biggest good boy or girl. Specific combinations are available with no corn, no wheat, no soy, as well as completely grain-free. And each formula has minerals and fatty acids important for an extra petable coat. For your loyal companions, choose Neutrina Loyal. Available at your local D&B supply. It's go time for your garden and mow time for your lawn. Luckily, D&B's got Toro mowers waiting for you in store. Toro mowers are a household name across America for quality lawn care equipment. At D&B, we've got a range of options to choose from. From the self-propelling personal pace mower for small plots to the zero-turn time cutter for larger tracts of green. So if your mower's taken its last pass on your parcel, turn to Toro. Available at your favorite D&B supply. All right, Kurt, so before the break, you brought up the gas for the chainsaw. So let's talk about that for a minute. So what you recommend is at the end of the season, so last fall, they either uh, run the machine out of gas or they use a stabilizer or the moto mix. Is that correct? Well, sort of, yeah. So when when I say run it out of gas, that's step one. I don't okay. believe in leaving a, uh, a any carburetor really out of fuel or a fuel system empty. Um, you're asking for moisture and condensation, you know, to be introduced into the system. Mm-hmm. If a tank is full, then you will you will have less condensation possible uh, in the lines and all of that. And some of the residuals that are left behind, even if you run non-ethanol fuel out, there can still be traces of uh, residuals that can cause some problems. And so I would recommend, you know, step one, run the equipment dry of any of the pump gas that you've been using. And then preferably using uh, some of the stabilized, I call it canned gas, but we have it available from from steel like the Motomix and the the VP product. Uh, I recommend storing all of your equipment off-season with that in the tank and after having run the the system for about 10 minutes to to push out any of the pump gas that's there. When I say off-season, that could mean for chainsaws, if the guy only breaks it out two or three times in a a year, he may have more than one off-season in a calendar year. So Mm -hmm. anytime they're not going to run that piece of equipment, you know, for the next couple of months, then I would treat it as though you're not going to run it for a long time and, and follow those steps. Okay. All right. And, and when it comes to mixing your gas, is there a two stroke oil that you recommend? Yeah, I like the uh, the full synthetic uh, HP Ultra from Steel. It seems to leave the least amount of carbon behind if you've been running uh, cheap like outboard boat motor oil. Those oils really aren't meant to run at the the high temperatures that air cooled small engines run at, and and so I really hate to see people buying the cheap oil and and trying to get away with that because you know oil's cheap compared to a, an engine or a piece of equipment, and so treating it right with you know with good oil, a huge advocate for that. Okay, and then uh, along those same lines, how about the bar oil that uh, you're going to be running? Is that something that needs to be changed? It, that's a yes and no. Your bar oil, if it's a standard petroleum product will typically last you from one season to the next. You really don't need to go in and change that. If you are running any of the uh, the uh, vegetable-based oils, some of these um, biodegradable products that are out there, you really want to be careful there because they can polymerize in there and, and you can have some issues with that. Not that many people are running those oils. It hasn't been like a huge issue or anything, but 
if someone is running uh, some of those oils, they want to make sure they follow the directions on those uh, and make sure they're they're you know changing that out mm-hmm. as needed. Okay, and but in in general, you'll you'll run through your bar oil. You're not going to have to change that for the most part. Okay, and for our listeners who are you know maybe they've never operated a chainsaw, maybe they're thinking I need to get one. I've bought a property or whatever it may be. Can you explain to them what the purpose of bar oil is? Yes, absolutely. So bar oil is the lubricant for the chain and the bar. It helps, uh, of course, lower the friction between the bar rails and the drivers. Um, the driver is the part of the chain that, that rides down inside of the bar, and it lowers that, that friction that's there, keeping it cooler. Of course, a, a cooler chain will stay sharper longer. As your chain heats up, if you let it overheat, then it's more prone to you know taking, I don't know if you want to call it a temper, out of the the cutters, but it definitely will allow it to uh, to dull your chain quicker if it's hotter. Okay, great. And now let let's talk about air filters for a moment. Do you re- recommend cleaning or replacing an air filter as you begin your season, or end it for that for that matter? <clears throat> well, it, it depends on the filter. So there are some that I do recommend that you just knock the larger particles off from, you know, and, and I do not recommend, however, ever taking an air compressor, a blower to it. Uh, a lot of these have kind of a, uh, a fiber material that is uh, pressed into the, the housing of the filter, and, and you could blow away needed filter material. There again, that's one of those things Filters are cheap and engines are not. And mm-hmm. having seen as much dirt ingestion into various small engines, uh, it's not something you want to neglect. And so going cheap on an air filter could mean going going more expensive down the road with having to replace a, a worn-out engine. Okay. Well, that, thank you. That's really good advice. And, and I guess we'll move to the next part. How about the spark plug? What should we be doing with that as we're getting ready to begin the season? Okay. Of course, always using the correct plug. You, you don't want to guess at a plug. Heat ranges are important to make sure you're within tolerance on the heat range. And then, uh, of course, length of spark plug. If somebody just randomly grabs a plug and it threads into the hole, that doesn't mean it's the correct length of the projection tip on that plug. It's rare, but you have, have people that will do that, and the piston can come up and, and smack that plug, which, of course, can cause all kinds of obvious problems there. So the correct plug first and foremost. Annually changing it is is good for most moderate to heavy users and maybe even more often than annual for the, the heavy user, users, I should say. For real occasional users, that might not be necessary, but inspecting it is always a good idea. Uh, looking for excessive carbon that's on there. I like to, when I look at them, I always look for that kind of, I call it kind of the chocolate milk color that you see forming on the uh, on the projection tip there, and and if it's you know uh, not fouled out, then then sometimes I'll leave it. But um, but there again, you know, spark plugs are inexpensive, and they can you know keep you from having frustrating startup issues and running issues. Okay, thank you for that. And man, this is really really good information. I'm I'm loving what I'm hearing. It gets me excited. I love this time of year when you're getting the equipment ready <laughs> and and you're getting ready to go out and 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 cut wood and and get ready for the winter it's always fun so that brings me to my next question and for me this is always my biggest frustration as a matter of fact this is my biggest frustration with chainsaws to the point that i have given up what tips or suggestions do you have for the person who's going to be sharpening their own chain first the the thing that you have to have to do is have the correct tools 
and there are a lot of a lot of folks that I run into that have been uh, freehand filing really with just a file long enough that they they think they're getting it right and they they are you know touching it up and getting it sharper but in in the miles and miles of chains that I've sharpened with uh, a machine. I've fixed so many of those hand-sharpened uh, chains and, and brought them back into a, a form that they can actually be used, you know, to a satisfactory degree. If you're going to hand sharpen, make sure you're using all the proper guides and you want to make sure the rakers are getting dressed because without dressing the rakers, a sharp chain can still cut crooked or maybe not at all. If you've sharpened enough of that down, that raker, every time you sharpen your chain, it makes the raker act taller and that's your depth gauge. Mm -hmm. And so that needs to be brought down. Uh, most specs, you're going to be about 25 thousandths from the top of the raker to the top of the cutter. And those cutters are tapered at a downward angle. As you, you know, go back in your sharpening, they become lower. And so having the, the proper tools are very important. Uh, steel has come out with a all-in-one tool that is phenomenal for all of your uh, full complement chains. It won't work on skip pattern chains, but it's a, a one tool that does the sharpening uh, and the raker filing all in 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 one pass or, or in, you know, however many passes you're having to do to get mm -hmm. it sharp. And so you don't have to break out separate tools to do the rakers. It's already done it by the time you get your, your cutter sharp. And so that's, that's my favorite if you're going to hand sharpen. Okay. Well, and do I understand correctly that the raker needs to be lower? That's correct. Yeah. The raker is, is right in front of the cutter itself. It's part of the cutter assembly, but it's, it's the part that leads into the wood and if it is equal in height to the cutter, it's just going to push the wood right over the top of the cutter. And, and so it needs to be lower. Now, you don't want to freehand lower these because if you do that without a gauge, chances are you're going to get some of them shorter than others, and then you're back to crooked cutting. Okay. Um, if, all of your, if all your cutters have been sharpened to where the cutters are the same length, and then you've adjusted all of your rakers all to the correct height, which is there again about 25 thousandths, um, you will have your, your best cutting uh, with modern saws on, on that sharpening. Okay. Well, let's talk about practicality for this for a reason, because you're saying a lot of things that sound very complex. And, and like I said, I've given up on this. Uh, I've tried and I, I'll cut in a half moon shape and, and uh, I'll get angry. And so now I just I take it in and I have it done. But I'm a casual user of a chainsaw. So uh -huh. it's not like I'm having this done every other week or something like that. So you can take your chains into a shop like a D&B and you can have a professional sharpen these for you, correct? That's correct. Okay, so what does it cost to have that done? Depends on the length, but most of the common saws are going to be 8 to $10. Some of the bigger bars are about $12. Okay, and then comparing that to the price of buying a new chain, what does a new chain cost? Uh, just a, a relative cost of a new chain. Uh, ballpark, depending on length, kind of middle of the road, you're in that $28 range. Okay. So I guess the reason I'm asking all this is I want our listeners to have a good idea because for me, this has been frustrating. I've never figured it out completely. Um, and I realize I probably don't have all the right tools and it's probably my fault for not putting in the time and the investment into the right tools. But there is an option out there. If you're not going to be using your chainsaw you know, that much. If you're going to go out and you're going to cut a few cords of firewood to heat your place through the winter or whatever it may be, some light work around your place, then for 8 to $10, you can get 
your chain tuned up, professionally done, and it's going to cut great for you. Correct. So for the casual user, I mean, is that your recommendation? Or if somebody is, is bent on doing it themselves, you say go for it? Yeah, yeah. So, and, and, you know, we see a little bit of both. Um, there are folks that have lots of use. They, you know, commercial guys even that are, are not wanting to spend the time sharpening, even sure. though they, they could do it. They, they just, they've got other things that maybe are income producing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got uh, casual users that uh, are just do-it-yourselfers and want to do it themselves. And, and with, with the correct tools, especially this all-in-one unit, it, it, they've taken all of the guesswork out of it, really. I mean, once you've um, got the tool, you basically have uh, guides on the handle that are built at an angle so that you know what angle to stay perpendicular to the bar or mm-hmm. angled from the bar, I should say. And really from there, you just uh, make as many strokes as needed until each of the cutters are, are sharp and the rakers are done. By the time you're done with the sharpening part, the rakers are done as well. So it, it's super simple. And for uh, the majority of the, the people that are wanting to do their own sharpening and haven't had luck with it, that's the tool to get. Okay. Well, now now you've given me an excuse to go buy another cool tool. So maybe I'll do that. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Well, one last question of this section. So if a person wants to put a longer bar on their saw, is it just a matter of getting a longer chain or do they need to make sure that the horsepower of the saw can handle handle the longer length and things like that? Yeah, the the uh, the bar length is is going to be directly relate, related to the CCs or the horsepower of the saw itself, and so if they've gone by the manufacturer's recommended guide bar lengths and they stay within that range, they're fine. But if they are going up significantly from from what the manufacturer recommends, then you're you're not going to be happy with the results in most cases. I mean, they they just they you need the power to drag that much chain through the saw uh, through the saw bar, and then you also need the power to to drag that much chain through the wood itself. And uh, manufacturers would will always state the correct bar lengths um, and, and you should you know stay within those guidelines. Okay, great. Well, this has been great so far. So much information that I'm learning and I, I know we're providing that to our listeners as well. Let's take a commercial break and then when we come back, let's talk about getting the uh, starting the saw and how to do that right. Sounds good. When you need to feed every horse in the barn, D&B's got just the feed for every horse at every life stage. Purina Strategy. Whether your horses are growing, breeding, showing, or performing, Purina Strategy delivers the right density of protein, energy, and fat with less starch for more endurance and stamina overall. Get better performance no matter the stage with Purina Strategy Horse Feed. Available at your favorite D&B supply. Know what looks good with a cowboy hat, panhandle western apparel, and rock and roll denim available at D&B Supply. Over 70 years ago, Panhandle started putting snaps on their popular gambler-style shirt and soon became a runaway hit with cowboys and cowgirls everywhere. In the 21st century, they formed Rock and Roll Denim too, with fashion-forward looks and high-class jeans that fit any style. With designs both classic and fresh, get decked out for life in the West with Panhandle shirts and Rock and Roll Denim at D&B. All right, Kurt. Well, now that we're back, let's talk about starting our chainsaws. And I mean, that was great information. Now I want to ask you about safely starting the saw. Uh, so the the way you should be holding the saw, the way uh, you should have it prepped for starting, what do you recommend? 
Okay. So yeah, holding the saw is important, how you're going to um, do that to be safe. Uh, first and foremost, drop starting a saw where you have one hand on the, the top handle of the saw and, and you are literally dropping it and pulling the rope straight back. Not a safe way to go. It's, it's not recommended. If there were something to happen, that saw were to start up and, and somehow spin around, you know, toward your leg or whatever, uh, of course, obvious, you know, issues could, could result there. The way that you want to do it, the, the safest method is to put the saw down on the ground, uh, get a foot on the back handle, one hand up on that front handle, and then that puts you right over the saw and, and allows you to easily pull that rope upward and, and get the saw to start. There is another method. I don't really recommend it, but there are some folks that might have back issues that they can't bend down to do it. Mm -hmm. And that would be to hook the, hook the saw between their legs at the back handle, hold on to the front handle, and then you know pull the rope from there, and that that gives you those those two points of contact on the the saw itself to to maintain control for it. Um, but really, the safest way, no doubt, is to have the saw down on the ground and and uh, have a hand on the top handle. Okay. Now, what is it about the method where you're holding it between your legs that you don't like? Well, there again, it's um, it, I think you just have less potential problems if that saw is down on the ground. You know, if the saw were to slip after you got it started, um, that sort of thing, it's, uh, you know, I, I've seen folks do all kinds of methods for starting. And, and, and there again, I, I still firmly believe the safest way is down on the ground. Okay. And when you talk about stepping on the rear handle, most saws, at least saws manufactured these days, uh, they have a rear handle. It kind of makes a loop and below the trigger you can step through and there's kind of a flat piece there that you can put the toe of your boot on to hold the saw down. Am I understanding that correct? That's correct, yeah. There is a little plate there that allows you to step on that. Uh, some saws will allow you to do it with your foot to the side of it and some of them with your toe through, like you said. Either way you do it, I, I think, is fine. Okay. And when you talk about drop starting as an unsafe method, the, the drop starting part of that is kind of using gravity to assist you. Uh, with with pulling the uh, pulling the rope and and getting it started, right? Correct. Yeah, that would be where you sort of push down on the the saw and pull back on the rope all at the same time, and just that action just lends itself to you know potential injury. When somebody is pulling the rope and they're trying to get the saw started, if it doesn't start right away, how hard should they be pulling on this rope? Well, depending on the saw, smaller saws, you know, require a little less effort than, than big saws. There are some big, especially some of these older saws that do require a pretty hard pull. In most cases, in small engine ignitions, they need to reach about 300 RPM or so before they're going to fire, you know, to, to ignite the, the fuel. Mm -hmm. And so um, you need to get that, that, you know, that speed out of the pull. There are some modern saws that have an easy start feature that basically is it's an assist spring within the starter mechanism that uh, requires uh, a fair amount less effort. And uh, they're typically found on your, your smaller chainsaws. And it's, it's usually an add-on kind of feature or an up, upgraded kind of feature from, from uh, a few different models out of different brands. Okay, great. And how about priming and choking? So what should our, our at least our new person who's just experiencing chainsaws for the first time, should they know about starting the chainsaw when it comes to priming it and choking it? Okay. So uh, first, of course, 
make sure that the saw is turned on. If it has a separate on-off switch, make sure that it's turned on. Uh, the next thing would be to put it into choke and lock the throttle. The, you need throttle when you're starting up any small engine, and so you want to lock that throttle, turn your choke on. Many modern units these days are going to have the choke and the throttle lock built together. And, and so like in the case of the steel, you just pull the trigger, flip your, your uh, master control switch all the way to the bottom, and you've turned it on, you've locked your throttle, and your, your choke is all set. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there... If the saw has a primer, then you would uh, prime it a few times to get fresh fuel up to the carburetor. And from there, then you would pull it, the rope. And the number of pulls, that's where I, I think a lot of people misunderstand. You, there's not really a, an exact number you're going to pull it every time. You're, you're pulling it until you hear that false start. And it, it's sometimes on some saws, it's just going to be a really faint grumble mm-hmm. where it just acts like it wants to start. Uh, sometimes it'll be a little bit louder one. But you need to be familiar with that saw and, and be aware that within usually within about three pulls, um, you're going to hear that grumble. Once that, that fault start has occurred, then you want to take it out of choke, but leaving it in trigger lock, because there again, we're starting it, so we need fuel. You're going to pull the rope again one or two times for a saw that's in good shape after you've taken it out of choke. And that's usually where it'll fire up and, and come to life. Awesome. Well, that is great. Let's take another quick break, and then when we come back, let's start talking about some safety methods and things we can do to be safe with our chainsaws. Okay, great. D&B knows your feet work hard, and they deserve to be treated well. That's why we've got a variety of styles and sizes of Dansko shoes to fit every foot. Dansko shoes are made for those who spend long days and nights on their feet. Early on, they gained a foothold among nurses and teachers. Today, they're growing their footprint among everyone else who finds themselves on their feet for long periods at a time. Give your feet a rest, even while you're on them, with Dansko Shoes. Available at your favorite D&B supply. Nowhere to go for good-looking boots that won't break the bank? For that authentic Western look on a budget, D&B knows that you can turn to Laredo Boots. Laredo Boots have a loyal following for dealing out that real Western look and feel with detailed stitching and traditional designs from the best of the Old West. They're also known to be tender on the feet while saving your hard-earned legal tender. Stick out around town without the sticker shock with Laredo Boots, available at your favorite D&B Supply. All right, Kurt. Well, now that we're back, let's talk about safety. So uh, you've given us really great information on how to get our saws ready for the season, how to get them started. But of course, a, a chainsaw is a powerful tool and it can be a dangerous tool or it is a dangerous tool if you don't operate it correctly. So let's talk about safety a little bit and let's start off by talking about um, you know, what safety or personal protective equipment people should have before they start using their saw. So uh, let's start off with hearing protection. Okay. So, yeah, you definitely want hearing protection. Interestingly enough, in the outdoor power equipment industry, uh, hearing loss is the number one injury. And so it is, it's overlooked by, by a lot of people. I mean, I, I see it every day, people running equipment without uh, proper hearing protection. So a few different things you can do there. The in-the-ear earplugs, if they are installed properly, provide a, a fairly high reasonable or fairly high amount of, of uh, 
sound protection. And then, of course, over-the-ear types, um, I like to see things that are 25 dB or, or better um, if you can find it. And that's, that's getting up there, but that's, that's an acceptable amount right there for most applications. If it were certain pieces of equipment that are extremely loud, you can do a combination of both. And so you just kind of have to judge it on the piece of equipment that you're running. But uh, you can use the in-the-ear type and the over-the-ear type uh, to obtain even better uh, sound deadening. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and when it comes to eye protection, do you recommend simply safety glasses or do you like the wraparound goggles that keeps everything out? Got to keep everything out, and so the better fitted it is, the you know forming to your face, you know if it's got side shields uh, built into it, that's great. They do need to be the the ANSI rated type, you know, and, and that way you know you're getting something that's uh, been tested and and is meant for that that type of application. And being outdoors, if it's got UV protection, that's also a good thing. Okay. And now if you're using, say, a helmet with a face mask or something like that, is that a substitute for safety glasses? Or do you recommend having safety glasses on underneath that? Yeah, safety glasses would be required at all times. Um, if you had a, a chip of wood or or something, you know, bounce up, you know, in underneath that shield, it could still get in your eyes. So the shield would be a supplement and more of face protection than it would be eye protection. So uh, something you definitely always want to wear your safety glasses. Okay, and now there's some pretty cool safety equipment out there, specifically the helmets that have the the face mask that comes down and the and the earmuffs that come down. Do you recommend those? Do you do you like that as a kind of a whole package safety piece of equipment? Yeah, for especially for anybody doing any kind of uh, overhead work, you know, you you've got everything right there, and there's no point in putting yourself at risk by by not having the proper safety gear and and uh, so yeah I, I would recommend those I do to um, customers that are coming in and doing really all kinds of limbing work especially um, tree service guys you'll see those guys wearing them absolutely a good way to go okay and and how about gloves and long sleeves yeah, so um, there, there's some protective sleeve shirts that are made that have certain areas that have a, a an ink what what they call inktex. It's a type of filler that's put into the shirt, and and they make them in chaps as well. And you're probably going to eventually get to the chaps, but I can maybe combine those in with this. Go right with so it. So the 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 inktex material is a fiber that is within the the shirt or chaps. And if the chain comes in contact with the with the the shirt or chaps, um, it basically rips out a wad of that inktex, and that jams into the clutch area of the saw, stopping the chain from spinning. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the goal for for you know safety and prevention of injury is having that chain stop. If you simply had, I, I believe they used to make uh, chaps with a Kevlar. Uh, type outer area mm-hmm. and that that material uh, it, it would allow the chain to ricochet and so it really didn't stop the chain and so they've moved on to this Inktex material uh, available in chaps and and shirts um, and then yes of course some good protective gloves you know the chainsaw manufacturers have their own that have uh, the little protections built onto the backs of the knuckles and whatnot for the type of work that you're doing and uh, yeah you, you definitely want to protect your hands as well okay Great. And how about footwear? 
So for footwear, that's going to really depend on the user. You're going to have, you know, users that are just doing occasional work. And I think a a regular pair of of just good work boots is probably okay. There are uh, specific boots for uh, those that are in in the the, uh, timber industry and tree service industry that allow them some more protection, you know, up a certain height on the ankle and and, um, you know, some that even have spikes on the bottom for, you know, maneuvering on logs and that sort of thing. And so they are definitely available. And, and, but at least a good pair of work boots would be, would be recommended. Do you recommend always having a fire extinguisher present when you're cutting wood or only in certain circumstances? No, I would always recommend having one. You never know when you're going to have something spark up. If you're out on federal property and and doing some cutting out there or really anywhere, you know, the some of those areas get pretty dry, the mm-hmm. the brush and stuff that you're working around and you know, you have some kind of accident happen and and you know, a you know, a spark comes out and you get some some fire going, having that that extinguisher there would be invaluable. Okay, great. Okay, so another safety issue uh, that you always hear about, kickback. What is kickback, and then what can people do to avoid it? So kickback is an occurrence where there's a certain section of the nose of the bar where the chain rolls over the top uh, upper quarter of it, basically, that if you get the tip just right into um, some material, some wood, that chain has the ability to grab a hold of that that wood and 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 throw the the bar back at you, not in a linear manner, but in a rotational manner. So what happens in most cases is it will rip the back handle right out of the the user's hand. The the saw uh, will spin on the their their forward hand, which is where they're holding it on the top handle, and that bar can come back and strike them. Now. Modern saws have um, a chain break that is right in front of that top handle where they're, it's usually their left hand that's there. Mm-hmm. And, and when that, that chain break lever hits their, their wrist area, it will engage the break and, and that brake band uh, will bind up around the clutch drum and stop the chain from spinning. You know, in an ideal scenario, uh, if, if you did have that kickback occur, um, it would stop it before it had a chance to strike you. And, and so, yeah, uh, but avoiding getting the tip of your saw into uh, positions where it could cause kickback would be important. Most saws that are sold these days are going to have a reduced kickback chain. And that chain has special designed rakers that will help reduce the amount of kickback energy that is is possible to be produced. But they, you still need to keep in mind it's still a chainsaw and kickback can still occur. And and so uh, just having that that reduced kickback chain on there isn't enough. You you have to be aware of that and you and you know treat everything as though it could happen and and uh, you'll be safer that way. Okay, great. And and along the same lines, talking about the operation of the saw and what you're doing with the chain, describe to our listeners what pinching or binding is. Well, pinching and binding would be a little bit different. Pinching okay. would be when if if you are uh, cutting down a tree or cutting into a branch that might have tension, you can actually get it to where the wood will close up on you on the backside of the cut. And adding wedges appropriately as you're cutting, um, and sometimes that's done as a two-person thing. You'll have one guy that's doing the wedges and one guy that's, that's doing the cutting. 
Um, but adding wedges to keep that log from sitting back on itself and keeping the cut open so that you can completely go the rest of the way through the, the log, um, you know, that would be how you would avoid getting the, the pinching. Uh, binding can occur if you are running a really large size bar, long bar, with a, uh, a full comp chain. And a full comp chain is, is one that has all of its cutters. It doesn't have any skip pattern to it. Mm-hmm. And, and so a semi-skip or a full skip chain is often preferable because you need to have that room in between each of the cutters to clear out any of the wood chips. Big bars in maybe some challenging wood, you know, that, that could bind up that way. You want to run with a, a skip pattern chain for that, and that can really help prevent that. Okay, great. And uh, last but not least, if you are using a chainsaw to cut up old lumber on your property, you've got a small acreage or something like that, and you're trying to get it cleaned up, before you go cutting into this old lumber, uh, it could be fence posts that are down that you want to remove and you want to make it easier or whatever it may be. Should you be looking at that and really looking for nails, wire, and things like that on it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you want to prevent, uh, you know, damage to your chain, absolutely. Although that being said, you know, old lumber, it might be a little easier to, to identify, you know, nails and stuff because you'd see where the nails been, maybe even some rust stains. But you will encounter when cutting down trees, uh, you will encounter uh, nails, rocks. I know someone that was cutting into the crotch of a tree and lost all of his cutters instantly. And by the time he got the thing open, he found that I don't know how many years prior, 50 years or whatever, somebody had hung a horseshoe right in the crotch of the tree and it completely grew over it so that you couldn't see the, the horseshoe. And so uh, there's, there's going to be surprises along the way when it comes to you know, foreign material in, in, in trees. But lumber, it'd be a little bit easier if you were cutting that up. You, you could you know, identify a lot of that. Okay. All right. Well, let's take another break. And when we come back, let's talk to our customers who are considering buying a new chainsaw or their first chainsaw. Perfect. You already know that Honda makes some of the most reliable, fuel-efficient cars on the planet, but that's just as true for Honda lawnmowers. The best thing about a Honda mower is it's a Honda, which means exclusive features like the 4-in-1 twin-blade cutting system that results in finer clippings for either bagging or when mulching, actually feeding your lawn with important nutrients. And it also means a highly fuel-efficient engine that's easier on the environment while you're sprucing up your environment. Plus, depending on the model, Honda residential mowers come with either a 3- or 5-year limited warranty. Shop Honda at select D&B supply stores in Eastern Oregon Oregon and Southern Idaho. Know how to power through your to-do list of home improvement projects with the extensive line of power tools from Steel, available at D&B Supply. From legendary chainsaws and industry-leading construction tools to powerful blowers and dependable trimmers like the FS38 grass trimmer, available at D&B for just $129.95. Steel tools are designed for reliability and built for the long haul. Get your motor running for whatever project comes your way and pick up steel power tools at your favorite D&B Supply. All right, Kurt. So let's talk about purchasing a new chainsaw. So for somebody out there who's listening and they're, for whatever reason, they're deciding they're going to purchase their first chainsaw. Uh-huh. Let's talk about first the different uses because there is actually, and we haven't talked about this at all yet, but there is actually an electronic chainsaw that can be purchased. Yeah, yeah, they've been available for a number of years. You can get a an electric plug-in type that's going to be um, plugged into 120 volts, so you're kind of tethered to your house or, or a generator or something. Mm-hmm. And then there are cordless types that use batteries. It could be 
uh, lithium ion is what all the newer ones are. Okay. And I guess my question here is, what what would you tell customers the the cutoff is? If somebody came in and they were trying to decide that they maybe they would like an electric chainsaw, but they don't know if it's going to be enough to take care of the jobs they have on their place, where do you tell somebody, no, nah, you better get a gas-powered chainsaw? Well, if it's going to be if it's going to be somebody that really has that very infrequent use, I will absolutely recommend an electric if they don't plan on taking it out away from their own personal property. The the big plus to an electric chainsaw for that type of user is that they are they're not going to experience startup issues ever. Um, you know, there's no gasoline, there's no mixing the oil. If they run that saw two or three times a year for 15 minutes, um, you know, it, perfect. They're, they're not going to have those kinds of issues. Two or three times a year for 15 minutes with a gasoline unit, you know, it's just not a good idea. And now on the electric chainsaws, even though you avoid a lot of those issues, there still is bar oil. That's correct. Yeah, you'll always have bar oil associated with any chainsaw. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's. I wanted to cover that because I think that for for certain people on small properties or who are going to use it really limited, that's a pretty good tool for them uh, to accomplish the same stuff. Absolutely. Okay. Well, let's jump back over to the gas powered chainsaws here for a minute. So, how how do you help a customer decide what type and size of gas powered chainsaw that they need? Uh, to get, and how do they pick the correct bar length? It starts with asking questions. I, I want to find out what their uh, intended use for it is, and and through questioning them about uh, how much they're going to use it. What, you know, if they're doing firewood, if they're just doing pruning and limbing. You know, we can get down there to uh, typically a couple of choices that would be suitable for their needs. How how do they decide? You know, in terms of CCs needed or horsepower, how big they should go. Okay. Well, so we'll just start off on the smaller side. So for the folks that aren't going to be cutting any firewood, they're going to be doing just pruning and limbing um, around their property. Uh, maybe even they want to take that saw up camping, you know, to, to you know, get a little bit of, of camp firewood. Mm-hmm. They can get away with a little bit smaller saw and, and, you know, the entry level size saws. Usually saws for folks like that maybe don't exceed about the 45 cc range. Not often needed. Folks that are doing firewood, that's kind of where it changes gears. 45 cc's, if you're going to go out and cut a cord of wood, that's probably okay. I really recommend if, if somebody's cutting in that maybe one to four cords of, of wood a year, I would say, you know, a minimum of about 50 or 55 cc's, you know, maybe up to about 59 cc's. That would be more ideal in that range there. For users that are going to cut a lot of firewood, you know, if they're out there cutting eight or 10 cords for you know, maybe maybe their extended family or their neighbor. You know, I would want something 64 cc's or even larger just to, to keep the productivity going and not making a, a week-long project out of something that could get done in a day or two. And, and so, um, you know, that's where you would go with a larger saw. Pro users usually have a, an idea of what they're going to need and, and because they already have maybe an arsenal of saws and, and they, can, they can span the gamut from the smallest, lightest saws for doing, you know, the, the climbing in the tree type work mm-hmm. uh, all the way up to the biggest saws that are available for taking down some of these uh, larger trees that they're, they're having to tackle. Okay, great. And and for the person who's going to be going out and they're they're going to cut a cord or two of firewood for their home and they're going to be bucking up some trees, how many extra chains do you think they should have with them when they go out? 
Well, I would recommend having a couple of extra chains. You know, they should know their history as far as, you know, how they are with chains. There are people that hit the dirt every time they run them. Those <laughs> folks are going to need to have either sharpening gear with them or, or several extra chains. Uh, because as soon as you hit the dirt, that chain's not going to be throwing big chips anymore. It's going to be producing sawdust. And that's a great indicator as to when you need to switch your chain out or sharpen your chain. If it's not throwing big chips like a brand new chain does, uh, that's, that's when you need to swap that out. And okay. so uh, if, they're, if they're good with their stuff, um, you know, some guys will, uh, you know, go all day long on one chain. You know, if they're not hitting anything in the wood and not hitting the dirt, they might be able to cut most of a day with one chain. Okay. And, and along the lines of that, what essential tools should they have with them before they go out uh, to cut firewood for the day? Well, of course, anything to do with uh, sharpening if they're going to be gone, you know, away from, from their property to do cutting. And that way, if they do have a hiccup and they blow through all their chains on a rock that was in the wood, they can go in and get that touched up. So that's a great idea there. Um, of course, they're going to need their, their scrunch tool. Um, the scrunch tool is a wrench and screwdriver combo tool that will allow them to adjust their chain tension and, and to... Uh, uh, swap it out as as they need to, and um, and then of course you're going to want to if you're going up in altitude you're going to want to have an, a, a carburetor adjustment screwdriver available, and um, that way if you get high enough in altitude and you need to uh, lean that saw out a little bit then you'll have the screwdriver there to be able to do that. Okay, and I haven't even asked you about chain tension, and I can't believe I didn't do that. So what do you recommend for somebody when they're going to start the day, uh, the saw is cold, the chain is cold, where, where should that tension be set? Okay, so saw is cold, chain is cold. Um, when you loosen the, the bar on the, the chainsaw, uh, you might notice that it drops just slightly. So my recommendation is to put the tip of the bar on the tailgate of the truck or on a log or something to push that bar back up, and then tension your chain. That's where the bar is going to eventually go when you're running it anyway, and so you want to just put that up there when you're, um, when you're tensioning your chain. So as you're tensioning, um, you're going to turn the, the tensioning screw clockwise, and that's going to bring the, the bottom part of the chain up to the bottom part of the bar, and just as it touches you're going to tighten your, your bar nuts at that point. Um, I always roll the chain through the bar a few times just to make sure that it's on the sprockets properly and, and hasn't, you know, doesn't jump off if, if it were loose enough when you've started out. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, if the chain were hot, then, uh, you know, that same procedure, but leaving a little bit of a gap there, a couple of millimeters, maybe around the thickness of a dime. Okay. All so right. not quite touching the bottom of the bar. Got it. Now, is there is there a possibility? Is there any way you can over tighten those bar the bar nuts? Uh, yeah, you can, and you can cause some real uh, problems with the studs that are coming out of the body of the saw. And so, uh, you know, getting them good and firm. Um, you know, I don't have a uh, an exact spec on that, but getting them good and firm, but not really overdoing it. And so the the scrunch handle isn't all that long. And and so, you know, if you're putting a, a ratchet on there and doing it with something that's even longer, um, just not a good idea. You want to use the scrunch tool that, that kind of limits the amount of torque you can put on that and, and uh, would be best to um, not over tighten because you can cause problems by pulling those bar studs out um, or stripping them out as you're over tightening. I, I wanted to finish this off by talking about splitting firewood. So 
you know, once you get all your wood cut, and I know this episode's about chainsaws, but this seems just like a natural thing that we would include with it. So once you get all your wood cut and you've you've got uh, it chunked up and you've got all your, your logs brought home, those aren't going into the fireplace or the wood stove like that. They're going to have to be split. So there's there's uh-huh. a few different ways you can get this stuff split. Um, an axe, a maul and a wedge, a power log splitter. So I wanted to talk about those for, for really quick. So when do you recommend somebody to just use an axe? Well, axes would be typically not used as, as a splitting device. They are more of a cutting device um, for chopping. And, and so if you're using an axe, you're probably going to be using it on very small rounds okay. um, and maybe doing kindling with it. You know, a, a hatchet even for kindling uh-huh. works well. Um, you know, a maul, on the other hand, uh, has a much more pronounced wedge shape to it. It has a lot more uh, weight to it. And, and so as you bring that down into your rounds of wood, it's going to strike with much more authority. I mean, you're going to get right through, um, you know, smaller and medium-sized uh, rounds in, in maybe one pass. Um, and, uh, and then some of those larger ones might require using wedges and, and uh, other methods that way. Okay, great. And then uh, what about our power log splitters? At what point do you tell somebody, yeah, that's a good idea for you? When the kids leave home and aren't out there splitting your wood for you is a good idea. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> it, it would really depend on how much time they're spending uh, splitting wood and if they enjoy it or not. Um, if somebody really enjoys splitting wood, and oddly enough, there's a lot of guys out there that like to go out and split wood. It's uh-huh. kind of therapeutic for them. Stick with that. It, it'll work just fine. But that's not the most of us. Most people, we want to go do something else that we enjoy. If you're out there spending you know, weekend after weekend and you're, you're splitting you know, five five cord of wood. I would never hand split five cord of wood. It's just, uh, I've got things that I would rather do. And so at that point, um, when the amount of time you're spending on splitting, um, or if you just don't have the physical ability to do that anymore, uh, you definitely want to, at either of those points, you want to switch over and, and get a log splitter. Okay. And now if you do that, what are some features you recommend uh, on a log splitter? Well, the the table for a log splitter, which goes off to one side, uh, sometimes both sides, uh, depending on the splitter and, and what the user wants, but the table is often overlooked. And, and it's so handy to have that there because sometimes when you're splitting through larger uh, rounds, you want to be able to just slide one piece off to the side after you've split it in two, but maybe you're having to quarter it or, or you know, take it down into smaller pieces from there. It allows you to clear that work off to the side, you know, work on one of the pieces, and then as they get split into their appropriate sizes, then you can you know, throw those off into the pile and, and work on the rest of the pieces that remain on the table. Great. Okay. And now some log splitters have a feature where you can swivel it and it'll operate vertically. What is that for? So vertical and horizontal operation, um, it, it's a great idea. If you are running that thing and, and you're, you're working on a pile of wood that's down on the ground, that vertical operation is great because you're not lifting as much. You can sort of roll the log into place, um, you know, start splitting and, and, uh, and continue. Now, if you're working out of the back of a truck, it's usually easier to have the thing in that horizontal mode. You know, if you're pulling it out off a trailer out of the back of a truck, it's, it's um, you know, I think it's better in most cases to have that thing in the horizontal position. Okay, great. Well, Kurt, this has been absolutely fantastic. You are a wealth of information, and I feel 
better already about my lack of knowledge that I didn't even know I had with my own chainsaw. But thank you very much for coming <laughs> on and, and sharing this with everybody today. This has been really beneficial. Well, thanks, Matt, for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you all for joining us today, and here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the D&B Show, I'm Matt Breckwald. <laughs>